Hey, happy 2024, friends. I'm uh, glad you're listening to another one of our podcasts. If this is your first one, then welcome. I'm Jeffrey Rickman. I'm the preacher here. I've uh, been preaching since 2015, and I'm a happy preacher because this is a lovely church, and uh, I hope you get that feeling as you listen to our podcast and also as you worship with us, if if that's in the cards. If you live here locally, then... Um, I hope you come to worship with us, or even better, I hope you reach out to me personally at pastor.rickman at gmail.com and talk about ways in which you can grow closer to Christ through this church. We have a number of really decent ministries that that people can plug into. Uh, If you don't know, we published yesterday, I published yesterday, a uh, end-of-year report for all the things that happened in this church in 2023. God has been very active here. And so if you haven't checked that out, you might consider looking that up from yesterday. We posted it all over the place, so it should not be hard to find. Um, What this particular episode is, is uh, our time in the Word from this last Sunday. So we we followed the Revised Common Lectionary during Christmastide. That's the 12 days of Christmas, if you don't know it. And um, we're going to be doing that again this coming Sunday. It's going to be Epiphany so we're, we're going to be looking at the four readings recommended there. And then after that, um, I don't know what we're going to be doing. I've, I've put out an ask for different books that people want to read. I've gotten one person say they want to do First Corinthians, no, First Thessalonians, another one saying Colossians, and another one saying Daniel. So we're going to have five weeks between Epiphany and Lent beginning. So in those five weeks, what book would you like to read? Let me know. Um, there isn't much prep needed to listen to this segment today. The only thing I would say is um, a lot of preachers think that they're going to save somebody in one sermon. I don't. I, I think that the only thing that saves people is prolonged engagement with the faith through Christ Jesus, His Holy Word, His Church. So what I'm trying to do is I, I walk through these scriptures with you is not save you, but it's uh, so many people misunderstand what's in the scriptures today. Let's just go through and get a plain reading, a, cl- a plain meaning of, of what's in there, and then apply it to our lives. And the, the, the continued exercise of doing that week after week, day after day, year after year, that is what informs Christian identity. So that's what I understand myself to be doing here, just a little bit of work each Sunday to reform myself and then uh, whoever decides to listen to me. So May you be so reformed. If uh, if you are in sin, then I pray that the, the Holy Spirit works upon you to work about contrition and confession of sin and repentance that you might have newness of life. Okay, enjoy your time in the Word with me. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. For as the earth bringeth forth her bud, and as the garden causeth the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof Go forth as as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, 
which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. This is the word of the Lord. All right, I'm going to ask that question I'm always asking you all. Is this an, an angry reading, a sad reading, a happy reading, a funny reading? What, how would you characterize this? Johnny says happy. Is he just crazy? No, this is a happy reading. This is, this is a good... It, okay, so we're in chapter 61, right? I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. Happy. Right off the bat, right? Rejoicing is a good thing, right? People, other than a couple, some people like being grumpy all the time, but rejoicing is a good thing, right? And so why do I have good, do I have good reason to be uh, rejoicing? Yeah, uh, he has closed, clothed me with the garments of salvation. Is this literal speech or metaphorical speech? This would be metaphorical speech. You can't look at Joe and go, man, that's a really good salvation shirt you're wearing today. Where'd you get that, Old Navy? Old Navy does not sell salvation shirts, right? So God clothes you with salvation. This is metaphorical clothing. It adorns your bodies. By the way, do we believe in a bodily resurrection, or are we all going to be ghosts in the next life? Bodily. Yeah, very good. We knew the answer to that one. This is real Christians in here. All right, so, but he, he clothes our bodies. In Revelation, we're told that our bodies will be clothed with white robes that have been washed with what? Blood. Blood of the lamb, Right? So the blood of the lamb purifies, makes pure. That also is metaphorical language, but I also think it's uh, literal in Revelation. Here it says, He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Similar concept. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. Anybody ever gone to a wedding? The bride and groom, do they look like a couple of slobs, or do do they look really nice? Okay, I know we're in Oklahoma, but even in Oklahoma, people dress up nice at weddings. I, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. It's a fancy, nice occasion. Here's, as I was reading this this morning, I was, I was meditating on, um, okay, so I don't want you to get triggered. Can you make me a promise? You won't get triggered? David says no. Uh, the, the slogan of uh, Donald Trump's uh, uh, program was uh, Make America Great Again, right? And so the detractors say, America was racist, and he's wanting to be racist again. I don't think that's what he meant, but whatever. The thing is, that really tapped into something, right? A lot of people remembered an era before in this nation when things were great, when there was greatness that we have since lost. And that's almost certainly appealing to a period in the 1950s and 1960s when there was generally peace. And you you ever seen those Norman Rockwell paintings where you have this very orderly, very clean people? That is actually kind of what our country looked like for a couple decades. And then things started slowly deteriorating. And we've got what we've got now where if you go to Walmart, just be prepared for whatever you see because people are not dressing to impress you at all. And the thing is, you can get real vain about appearances, can't you? And, and Jesus warns about that. He says, you know, the problem with the Pharisees, they were too concerned with outer appearances and not inner holiness. So he said, y'all are like cups that get washed on the outside and on the inside you're full of all death and destruction and nastiness. And so the, the, the path you're supposed to go from there is to go, okay, well, I'm supposed to present myself in a good way, not just on the outside, but I also need to be holy on the inside. That's clearly what Jesus wants, right? And yet a bunch of lazy people read that and they go, I guess I can just let it all hang out because I'm nasty on the inside anyway. I might as well be nasty on the outside, right? 
And that's the culture we're living in right now. We're full of uh, people who hate themselves, who are alienated from themselves, who uh, don't treat their bodies right. We're super out of shape and unhealthy as a culture. We don't take pride in our appearance. We wear just garbage for clothing. We eat garbage for food. We look like garbage as we go out. I didn't mean to be that offensive. But it's true, right? I'm speaking in generality. Some people still take pride in their appearance and they still treat their bodies well. I'm not speaking about every single person. This is what people do to shut you up. Oh yeah, every single person is a slob, huh? No, I'm speaking generally. Once upon a time in this nation, y'all ever seen photos of the Million Man March? Everybody's wearing slacks and polos. They tucked in their shirts and wear belts. This wasn't even rich white people. This was lower income black people. Once upon a time, anyone, someone went out the door, they, they brushed their hair, they looked good, and it wasn't because everybody was super vain. I'm sure some of them were, but a lot of them knew that God had greatly blessed us, that he had clothed us with garments of salvation, that he loved us, that we loved him. It was a nation that sought after the Lord. Now, did they do it perfectly? Absolutely not. You don't have to be perfect to follow Jesus. Otherwise, let's just close the doors of this church right now, right? They knew that God loved them. They knew that God had a purchase on them. They knew they were clothed with salvation. And even if they didn't, they sought after it. And so that meant that they showed respect for their neighbors by taking care of their lawns. They showed respect for the people around them by taking care of themselves. They showed respect for themselves by taking care of their bodies. Not all, but it used to be a lot more common than it is now. The thing I'm picking on here, I would think Christians should be countercultural nowadays by showing care and consideration for others by caring for our bodies, caring for our families, caring for our households and our houses, our stuff, taking good care of stuff. I know that we can worship mammon and that can go a bad direction, but I'm embarrassed at the state of Christianity nowadays, guys. I'm embarrassed at, at at what passes for Christianity in this nation. That didn't used to be the case. Christians used to be known as being a disciplined and principled people, a people who took good care of themselves and everything in their realm. And we ought to be that way once again, don't you think? So whether or not you like or hate Donald Trump, that's what I want you to hear when we're talking about, it ain't gonna do you any good if you're like, oh yeah, you want racism back again? Just quit it with that. But the, the best part of what I think can be redeemed there is let's talk about a nation where people earnestly seek the Lord publicly when they're not ashamed or afraid to do that. And we're going to come back to that theme here with the last, last uh, reading, I believe. There's a little bit more here, though, for us. So one is we really need to be th- seeking not just personal inward holiness. We need to be th- seeking outward holiness. And I'm not saying that if you tuck your shirt in, that makes you holy. That's silly. But I am saying that if you are holy, then you want to present yourself in a certain way to your neighbors, friends, even your enemies. All right, the next thing I wanted to call attention to is in chapter 61, verse 1. For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness. Now the the word there in King James makes it sound like work and activity, and it is that. But it's talking much more about speech. The, The prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah in particular, knew that people wanted them to shut up. But they knew that they had to talk. They knew that they had to work, even if it made other people uncomfortable. They knew what God deserved. God is redeeming the world around us. He has a purpose and a mission that he's doing, but the world is not psychic. They don't know about it. You and I have been appointed to tell them. You have a savior. You are dead in your sins. 
Jesus was named Yeshua, Savior, because he would save people from their sins. It says it right there in the Bible. It couldn't be any more clear. Are all people sinners? Do all people need Jesus? Is there any way to the Father except through Jesus? No. You and I are the people. We have the message. We call that the gospel. It means good news. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet. For the sake of my country that I love, I will not keep quiet. I don't care if it's going to hell in a handbasket. I got to tell these people. You're dead in your sins. You got to wake up. Jesus came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Here's what it looks like. Here's this whole community of people right here trying to live that out together. Brothers and sisters, at the start of 2024, will you commit with me again to do your best to live out your faith together with me and one another? I want to encourage you to be really praying on that over the next week. I want you to come back to worship next Sunday. We're going to say the Wesley Covenant Prayer, where we really commit to ourselves once again to seek holiness and righteousness together. That's the whole point of life. If that's not something you're interested in, you haven't woken up yet. You're still dead in your sins. The purpose of life is holiness for every single person. Because the thing that's going to kill every single one of us is the opposite of that. It's called sin. It wants to take you. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep silent. The Gentiles, verse 2, it said, shall see thy righteousness and all kings thy glory. It's talking about the importance of outward actions of goodness. And thou shalt be called by a new name. What does it mean when someone's called by a new name? It means they've gone through an identity change. There are a lot of people who come to Jesus and they go, well, I've only ever been this way, Jesus, take it or leave it. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to transform it. You don't like who you are, right? You're dead in your sins. Oh, is that so great being dead in your sins? You like being a walking zombie? Oh, that's great. Nobody likes being a zombie. You ever seen a zombie movie? Do they look happy? Do zombies look happy? Oh, he's living his best life now. No. And that's what it's like living outside of Jesus. You're a zombie. You might have pleasure in your body. Your spirit is being in tumult. But a lot of times, does a zombie know it's a zombie and go, oh, I wish I wasn't a zombie? No. Zombies are morons. They don't know what they are. They just want brains, you know? And that's, that's what humans are until Jesus wakes them up. And they realize, I don't want to be a zombie. This is miserable. I hate this. I want to be alive. I want to have abundant life. I want to have eternal life with Christ Jesus. And when they wake up, who can they turn to? Who can show them what abundant life looks like? What's the answer to that question? It's us. God help us if we sit in this church building and call ourselves a church, but someone who is running from sin and seeking righteousness comes in here and they don't find Jesus. They don't find a bunch of people who've been marked by the transformative power of Jesus. We have to be changed first if we ever want to help other people change. There are so many hypocrites in the world who want to save others, but they think that they're beyond saving. They won't let God take their sins away. They won't walk in righteousness. Oh, he can do it with others. Oh, he can't do it with me. Shut up. Let him do it to you first, and then it will naturally flow out of you to share that good news and to invite people into a new way of life. I don't want to go to church anymore. My pastor tells me to shut up. You just got to shut up that bad voice in your head that discourages you and keeps you from seeking holiness. The point of life is seeking holiness. Did you fail in 2023? So did I. Does that mean we get to give up and just give in? The opposite is the case. Not because we're so great, but because God is. He deserves better, doesn't he? Does God deserve saints in no water? If not us, then who? We've got to do it. Stop making excuses. I, I, I put out an article yesterday. I think 2024 is going to be a really rough year. I do. I think there are a lot of forces coming together 
it's going to be a very difficult time to hold our faith and to maintain our righteousness. Right now is the time to steal yourself. Right now is the time to resolve and prepare. If you're not prepared when trial comes, you will fail. Oh, I got the Holy Spirit. I can relax. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. You never relax. You never relax, except on the Sabbath. That's a good day to relax. But the rest of your life, remain vigilant, hardworking. In Ephesians, it says, if you're standing, then stay on your guard so that you can remain standing so that on the day of trouble, you will not fall down. That is the scriptural instruction. Has God been good to us? Has God been good to you? God is your best friend, whether you know it or not. Some people might think, oh, God, God took so-and-so away from me. I'm mad at him about that. Oh, God didn't heal so-and-so. I'm mad at him about that. Oh, God, let me go through this hard time. I'm mad at him about that. God is the only reason you've ever taken a single breath in your life. God is the only reason you ever had anybody who ever loved you in your life. God has given you all that you have, all ever had, ever will have, and in the end, you're going to lose everything but God. You better be right with God. We're living on borrowed times, folks. The days are evil, and the days are short. And when Christ comes again in glory, is he going to find anybody working for him? Far be it from us to give in to the darkness of this world. Let us be ready for the task at hand. Whenever, man, I love that collect we, we just said, so that when he comes again in glory, we may behold him in confidence as he comes to be our judge. I want to be so holy that nothing is left in me of the darkness. And whenever I gaze up at my Savior, I know he's here for me. May it be so for all of us. Amen. I went in a completely different direction with that than I did in Delaware. Uh, I love preaching, y'all. Thank you for uh, pretending I'm all right at it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, sun and moon. Let them praise the name of the Lord. And he established them forever and ever. Praise the Lord from the earth. Fire and hail, snow and frost. Mountains and all hills. Beasts and all cattle. Kings of the earth and all peoples. Young men and maidens together. Let them praise the name of the Lord. The word of the Lord. The thing I like about that one is it's not just humans that are called to, to praise and bless the Lord. It's all of creation, right? Sun, moon, and stars, mountains, trees. I like in Isaiah, he says, when, uh, when God comes, brings his, his kingdom to earth, the trees of the field will clap their hands. Before that verse, I didn't even know trees had hands. I've never found tree hands before, but they're going to they're gonna have them and they're going to clap them. The, the mountains are going to quiver. It's going to be an amazing thing. We, we got, we're surrounded by things that we think don't have any life in them. But, but all of creation. All nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. The notion is that everything resonates with God's glory and is everything is praising him except for some really stupid humans sometimes. But we're told in, uh, in Romans that uh, when Christ comes again in glory, every knee will bend 
And every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right? So we're living in this weird time right now where not all of creation knows who their Lord is. We do. And then we're going to come back to that. Are you going to be silent about it or not? Are you going to be bullied about it by people going, how dare you? Or are you going to say, hey, you, you don't know that you're a child of God. We're going to talk more about that here in a little bit. Let's go to, uh, we had Psalm 148 right now, which is just a reminder that all should be praising the Lord, right? Third reading is Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. That's a short one. I'll, I'll do it. Or Susie, would you do it? Yeah, all right. Come on forward. See, this is what you get for being related to the pastor. Pastor's wife, pastor's daughter, come and read. We're on page 1643 of your pew Bibles. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sin, sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. This is the word of God. It's hard to understand a lot of the Bible and how intimately personal it is. Abba is not a word that we use in our language. And daddy doesn't really quite do it. Sometimes you'll be around these weird Christians that when they pray, they'll say, oh, daddy, please. You know, you're going, you call your God daddy? But what they're doing is they're trying to approximate this word Abba because Abba, really a better word is father. Do you know anyone who calls their dad father anymore? That's not really a thing that happens anymore. Uh, but once upon a time, people called their, their father, father, and it's a formal title. And, you know, it's like nobody calls their mom, mother, do they? Oh, father, mother. What is it? What? Well, that was back in the day. Nobody does anymore because there's this mode of, uh, okay, so nowadays, whenever you have intimate relations in your family, we always think of those as being informal, right? You know, your family is who you really let it all hang out with, you know, so you're, you're nice to everybody in public, and then you come home, and th those are the people you yell at, right? Right? You sinners. <laughs> but that's not how people have always looked at family. Once upon a time, people knew that family deserved high honor and that respect was shown in intimate relations. So I remember this old John Wayne movie where he met a woman who decided she loved him, and she started speaking to him in th these and thous. <laughs> and it's just like, man, <laughs> how could She's very pretty, but she's saying, I love thee, you know, I don't know if I could receive that. But that's because I grew up in a very informal environment. But the, what previous cultures have known is your intimate relations should be formal. You should be, you know, I was talking about putting your best appearance out to those outside, but also in your homes. People deserve your best self, don't they? I mean, husbands, this woman, you put a ring on her finger and she said, I do, and she is yoked to you for her whole life. And do you want her just cursing you every day? No. So you're your best self for your woman, aren't you? If you're not, you really should be. You should be ashamed if you're not. And wives, let me return the favor. I mean, it's exactly the same. He's yoked to you. He's made vows to you. I, I should just say, I, I, I know it's really tacky to do this. I'm just always impressed with the Gibsons. They're a fantastic couple. These are people, as I'm talking, they're smiling at me. They're like, yeah, I, I married up. I'm great. You know, 
especially Carl. He knows how blessed he is. I mean, he's talked to me about it more than once. This is, this is how family relations should be. Children should know how blessed they are to have parents. Parents, you should know how blessed you are to have children. And there should be joy in having this formal and loving and intimate language in the household. Family is not here for you to let it all hang out and abuse and take out. You're, you're not supposed to go out into the world and, and get all pent up and then come in and vent on your family. That, if, you're, if that's your understanding of family, you're wrong. You're damnably wrong. I mean, the way you treat your family really matters. Really matters. And so I haven't preached. I, I, I feel bad. I haven't preached about it this clearly from the pulpit before. If anything, you should be better to people inside your household than people out. You should be great to everybody, but if for some reason you just cannot be great to everybody, uh, you know, Christ died that you would be great to everybody. I don't want to set the standard lower than he did. But there are a lot of people who are like, okay, I'll, I'll be really polite and public to everybody so they're drawn to Jesus, but then I'm going to be really bad in the household. You do not, that is not, that's not okay. When it's talking about how we get to call God, Abba, Father, that's saying that we are given a very intimate and formal relationship with the creator of heaven and earth. So it's not that we, oh, daddy, aren't I so cute in my sin? It's, oh, father, I'm so sorry. You know, um, there was a meme that bounced around for a bit saying, if my kids screw up, I don't want them lying and avoiding me. I want, I want them to immediately come to me and ask for my help. And that's, that's how I feel. And that's how it is with God. As soon as we screw up, we shouldn't be coming to, oh, daddy, aren't I cute? We should be saying, father, I'm so sorry. I know you love me and I've abused it. And here I am. I'm, I'm, I repent. I'm so sorry. Let, let me ask you this. In our families, is it appropriate to apologize to our family members when we screw up? What about fathers? Should fathers ever, or do they always maintain that they're right even if, even if Cody says no? That's stupid. But how many fathers find it easy to apologize when you've done wrong? That's the number one person that usually, but a lot of mothers don't apologize neither. And a lot of kids, they learn that from their parents and they don't apologize when it comes time either. And do you think that has anything to do with your relationship with God? If you don't know how to apologize anywhere else, you're not going to know how to apologize to God rightly. There are a lot of people, their repentance looks like, oh God, I'm sure I've done something wrong. So uh, I'm sorry. Okay, I get to go to heaven now. That's not what repentance looks like. Repentance looks like, Abba, Father, I'm so sorry. You deserve so much better for me. You've done so much for me, and yet here I am still doing my thing. Have you ever seen a father and a son that have a great thing going? Or a father and a daughter, it's just like, man, they really like each other. That's what I want to have with my kids. I want them to honor me. I want them to respect me. I feel like I'm doing okay so far. They say yes, sir, sometimes, and I go, I'm doing all right. But I th that's how we all need to be with God the Father, and we, need to, the, we have that intimacy with God, not because we're so great, but because of what Christ has done for us. And when we trust in what Christ has done for us, his atoning death on the cross, when we trust that he has liberated us from the law of sin and death and, and given us new life in the law of love, then that's what gives us that identity of fellow heirs of Christ. That's what gives us that confidence. And that's what all of a sudden we see, man, God's love is being lived out through me. I'm adorned in righteousness and salvation. All my relationships are sanctified. God is moving in my life. It's a wonderful thing to see, but a lot of people try and fake it. You can't really fake that. So let me give an invitation. Um, Midweek, 
We have a number of discipleship groups for people who realize that God deserves holiness and that they are unholy and that they need to do something about it. I have a group of men that gathers every Wednesday evening and they look at each other across the table and they week to week are trying to do better, pray for one another, support one another, love one another, help each other be better men. If you're a man, you need to be praying about doing something like that because you cannot do it on your own because you are weak. And women, you're not any better. We got a women's discipleship group on Wednesday morning, Wednesday evening, Thursday evening. These opportunities are available and open to those who want to have righteousness in their life. But it doesn't just happen. It's work that we have to do joyfully because it's what the Lord requires. Okay, our final reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. You can find it on page 1430 of your pew Bibles. Listen to the word of God. I don't know why it has a start in 22. I'm going to start in 21 and then... And when the eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. All right, now verse 22. And when the days of his purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they, were, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. A lot of people don't know that. This is the, this is the evidence that, that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were of the peasant class, very lower income. At that section in Leviticus where it talks about the offering that should be made for a firstborn son, it actually says much bigger and more expensive animals are ideal, but if you have no money, then you can offer a pair of turtle doves. So if you've ever known anybody who thought Jesus and his family were rich, well, at least at this point, they weren't. I don't know how they would have gotten rich after that, but it's just a thing I think is important to know. Verse 25, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Is that a good thing? Yeah, that's a great thing. <laughs> All right, verse 26. And it was revealed unto Simeon by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Remember, what, what does Christ mean? Anointed one. Messiah. Christ is the Greek word, Mashiach, uh, which is the translation from the Aramaic. No, that's Christ Christos, excuse me, is the Greek form of the Aramaic Mashiach, which means anointed one. Anointed one just means the one that oil has been dumped on, but in a literal sense, it's the one that God is going to send to bring his kingdom to earth. So Simeon knew through the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's anointed one who would bring God's kingdom to earth. That's what that means. Verse 27, and Simeon came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he up his arms and blessed God in his arms. That's important. He took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace. He's talking about himself. And depart in peace means die, right? Let us now thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. So I can die now because I've seen the Messiah. Verse 30, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Jesus, salvation. 
Mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, that's just such an incredible scenario. Verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall also pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple. Fourscore and four is 84. If you don't know that, anytime it's score, it's multiply that times 20. So she was 84 years. She had been married to a man, it said, for seven years. And then he died. She's been a widow ever since. She's now very old. But she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she, coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him all, uh, to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. She spake of him to all that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Uh and when they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned unto Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. Now, some of this is just amazing history to learn. You know, it tells us details about their, their income and social class. It tells us details about them being observant Jews and being in covenant relationship with God in that way. It tells us about them going to the temple and Jesus being revealed and seen for what he was. And do you think it's a coincidence? I don't, but you can have a different opinion on this one. Do you think it's a coincidence that the two people it talks about here is seeing Jesus for who he was, that they're both old people? I just don't think that's a coincidence. I, uh, I, think, I, think, I think there's a sermon in this about the importance of the elderly. You know, we, have a, we live in a culture right now that doesn't value the elderly very much, right? Like, even elderly don't like elderly people. Getting anyone going to the, the senior citizen center is really a chore because all those other old people are there. They don't like old people. Old people don't like old people. We, gotta, we love youth. We like vitality. We like uh, beauty and attraction. We don't like, you know, we, we look away from elderly, old stuff. But the Bible looks right into it. The Bible lifts up the old, you know. I always liked in Proverbs that it calls a man's white hair a, a, a crown. You better believe if I've got white hair when I'm old, I'm just going to spike it out all directions and say, this is my crown, y'all. I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm just playing. But uh, we live in a culture where a lot of people, especially in the church, old people in the church will say, oh, I, I did stuff when I was young. Now I, I'm not called to do anything. Now it's for those young guns to do. And I don't think the Bible has that worldview. I think the Bible has a worldview of, Hey, when you're old, that's an excellent opportunity to serve the Lord. You notice how Anna, she just lived at the temple. She served the Lord day and night. Can you imagine such a thing? Simeon, he had been given a word from the Lord, and so he was hanging out in the temple all the time waiting for that Messiah to come. He had no better place to be than the Lord's house. I tell you, I love imagining a future where the doors of this church are open all the time, and there's always old folks around praising, praying, and 
ministering to people, praying with people who come in, doing things for the church, serving the community around us. Young people, I understand why you can't do that. You've got jobs, you've got families, you need to do that. But I think there are older folks, you know, I, I would put just a little bit of weight on you and go, maybe there's more that God is calling you to do to serve him. Maybe life is spent very well that way. You know, I think we have those examples of Anna and Simeon for that reason. I think, did you know Moses was old when God called him to liberate the, the Israelites from bondage? Did you know Abraham was super old whenever it came time for him to make a new home in Canaan? Uh, God cares about and calls old people. And then he calls young people to shut up and listen. Joseph and Mary, does it, do they have any lines here? No, they don't. They sit and they receive the message of wisdom from their elders. That's a hard thing for know-it-alls like me to do. But that's the call of the young to the old. The old need to serve and give their wisdom, and the young need to let them, and they need to listen. Young people, let's get a commitment. Are you going to listen to your elders? Here's the excitement I've got. I guess. Cody, you weren't actually like that. <laughs> but not many people are excited. Yes, I'm going to listen to my elders. Elders, you know, the temptation is to go, oh, I don't know anything. The world has changed. These young people, they're doing, they're different now. I can't speak to them. They don't know. I don't know what to say to them. I'm just going to love them and let them all figure it out. For the sake of the youth, you cannot keep silent. You remember that scripture, that first scripture we had? For Jerusalem's sake, I cannot keep silent. I cannot be still. Older folks, that's how you should feel about us younger folks. We're lost. We're not doing well. I feel good about me, but young people in general in our nation, they are floundering. They are not doing well. I got young, you know, I'll have older folks that come to me and say, oh, how's young so-and-so doing? I'll say, why don't you ask them? Actually, I don't say that. I'm too nice. But that's the thing is, are you care, do you care about young people that you know? Call them. Reach out. Take them out for coffee. Tell them their business. If they can't handle it, that's on them. But they need something. They need something. So many young people don't have a father in the home. If they do, he doesn't have anything to teach. Young people are just desperate for wisdom and knowledge. And all, you know, old folks, they have something to offer. I just, I pray that you'll, you'll offer it before it's too late. What's a happy note to end on? What's some good news here? The good news I'm always rejoicing in is that God has told me my business. And that I have no reason to say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on. Uh, there's, a, there's a preacher nowadays, I forget his name. He says, uh, if you want to know God's message for your life, if you want to hear God's word for your life, read the Bible. And if you want to hear it out loud, read your Bible out loud. Everybody's sitting around wanting a special revelation from God. We've had enough of those. We need no more of those. We've, got, we've been given what we need. We've got it right here. Is it enough? Absolutely. But we've got the community of God and we've got his Holy Spirit. We've got everything we need. My prayer is that as, as the day closes on 2023 and we go into 2024, it's not going, I don't know what I'm doing. It's going to be the same. I, I hope we have a new resolve to pursue God and holiness and righteousness all our days. May you be so blessed. Amen.